Father, earlier on, um, Dodie read to us those words from Isaiah um, that invited us to come and eat and promised that you would feed us with the richest of fare. Um, and Father, we want to thank you right now for your word which feeds us. Um, we want to thank you that as we go through our lives again and again, you invite us to come and feed, to come and eat, and you nourish us for the journey. Uh, with good food that does us good. Um, and so, Father, I want to pray as we open up your word this morning. You know what we need this morning. You know what we need right now. Would you feed us through your word? Um, would you speak to us words that bring life, that strengthen us, that nourish us for the week ahead, that do us good? Uh, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um. We uh, began just last week um, a new series. We're going to be exploring uh, the little book of Philippians. Um, uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to jump right in because if we, if we kept reading where we left off last week, um, these are the words that we would come to uh, in Philippians 1, just after the introduction. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm going to pause there. Um, and I, I want us to notice just two things initially. Um, first of all, I want us to notice the theme of joy and thankfulness. Um, and really, lots of people have observed um, joy and thankfulness are really the key note and the key flavor of this whole letter. So people have often called Philippians the kind of the epistle of joy or the letter of joy. It kind of bubbles with joy and thankfulness, uh, which is all the more remarkable when you remember that Paul was in prison when he was writing it. And we'll, we'll think about that uh, more as we, as we go along. But just noticing that theme right at the beginning. Uh, the first thing Paul wants to say is thankfulness and expression of joy. Uh, but I also wanted to notice that Paul refers here, I guess, to his history with the Philippians. He and the Philippians have a backstory um, of encounters and things that they've done together. Uh, and so I know some of you are dying to get into the letter, but before we go on with the letter, we're going to go back this morning and tell a little bit of that story from the book of Acts about Paul and the Philippians and where their story began. And then we'll be ready to jump into the letter properly uh, from next week. So I hope that's okay. Um, really, the story of uh, Paul and Philippi, um, it kind of has an extra layer of excitement and significance, I think, because it's the story of the birth of the first church in Europe. It's the first time the gospel was planted on European soil and went on to change the continent. Um, and so we're going to go back and uh, read that story. So uh, we're going to go over to Acts 16. And we're going to read a little bit of the story in two parts this morning. Uh, the first part I'm going to do quite quickly. And then I want to really focus on the second part. So this is Acts 16, reading from verse 6. And this is what it says. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, 
They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Um, so that's the first little part of our story, and I'm going to talk about this for a couple of minutes, and then we'll we'll read on. Um, this is, uh, we'll put up a map, because it helps us kind of remember where we are. Uh, this is Paul's second missionary journey, missionary adventure. Uh, Paul is traveling with his friend Silas, um, and initially Paul and Silas revisited churches which had been planted on Paul's first missionary journey. So that's over in this part of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Uh, so they revisited some of the churches that had been planted before uh, to encourage them and strengthen them. Um, along the way, they picked up a new recruit called Timothy when they were at Lystra, which is right there. Uh, so they picked up Timothy and added to their team uh, another new recruit. Uh, and then the story gets kind of fascinating because they, they head towards, they're now ready to go and go into new territory where the gospel has never gone. And initially they want to go down into this area here, kind of the southwest corner of modern-day Turkey, the province of Asia. But it says the Holy Spirit prevented them. And we're not told how. We're fascinated to know how. We'd love to know. Uh, we don't know if it was an inner sense that they had, that they shouldn't go there, or if it was a prophetic word that was given, or if it was external circumstances. But whatever happened, they interpreted it as the Spirit was preventing them going that direction. And so uh, they couldn't go southwest, so they turned to the north and wanted to go up here uh, to the region of Bithynia. But it says again, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. And I think it's it's worth maybe just noting in passing, um, that must have been quite a confusing experience for Paul and his, his companions or frustrating in some ways because they were, they were ready and eager to do mission and surely Asia needed the gospel and Bithynia needed the gospel and uh, they were ready to go. But one way or another, the door closed and they were told, no, not there. And then they walked. You've got to remember they're traveling on foot as well. They walked all the way up to go north and no, not that way either. And somehow in the adventure of uh, mission with God and being involved in God's mission, um, sometimes there are closed doors and that can be confusing. <coughs> Excuse me. That can be frustrating. But somehow that's part of the process of learning to be guided by God and learning to listen to God. And maybe it's been a recent experience for you in your life, where you're ready to go and you're ready to do something for God and the door closes. Not that way. Not that way. And so they are, they're kind of funneled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, they can't go south, they can't go north, so they end up kind of being pushed to the west and they arrive at Troas, which is right there. And they've reached the edge of the continent of Asia. Uh, they're looking across to Europe, um, and finally now, up to now, the guidance has all been negative. No, not there. No, not there. But now finally they get some positive guidance. And they're given this really clear vision of a man from Macedonia begging them 
come over and help us. Um, every time I read this story, um, it reminds me of another one from four centuries later in church history, uh, whenever a young man called Patrick had just recently escaped from slavery in Ireland and returned to his home on the west coast of Britain. And he had a vision in which he heard the voice of the Irish saying, come and walk among us. And Patrick came and he preached and he planted churches and the story of this island was changed. It's a very similar story. Um, maybe we find it striking as we read in the book of Acts. Um, this kind of thing happens all the time. God speaks in dreams and he speaks in visions and he speaks in prophetic words. Um, but maybe just um, all I want to note at this point as we get ready to move on to the next part of the story is God doesn't speak in these dramatic ways just for the sake of drama, just to provide spiritual entertainment, but in order to guide his people into effective and fruitful mission, to lead them to the right place and the right person at the right time. That's why those things were given. And so in the book of Acts, sometimes it's to guide Philip to the Ethiopian or to guide Peter to Cornelius, uh, or in this story, to guide Paul and his companions to the place where this story is headed. But in order to lead his people into fruitful mission, God speaks in all kinds of ways. And so I think there's something there for us to note uh, as we move on. Um, if we're asking God to give us dreams and visions and prophetic words, and our motive is just a desire for drama, a desire for a spiritual buzz and a bit of excitement, I'm not sure that's a prayer God will honor. But if our, uh, if our motive is that we have a genuine hunger to be involved with God in the adventure of mission, to be used by God to carry his love and carry the gospel to those who most need to hear it, and to see hearts and lives and families transformed by the Holy Spirit, and we're making ourselves available and saying, here I am, send me then I think we'll find that God will speak in all kinds of ways, and some of them will be dramatic, and some of them will be quiet. Uh, but God speaks when his people are available, when they're hungry uh, to work with them uh, in the adventure of mission. So uh, there's lots there maybe we'd love to stay with and think about, uh, but I want to read on because it's the other part of the story uh, that I, I want to focus on this morning. Uh, here's how the story goes on in verse 11. From Truaz... We put out the sea and we sailed straight for Thamath, Thamath, race, which is not easy to pronounce. Uh, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the, th the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. 
And so was born the first church uh, on European soil, uh, on the continent of Europe. Um, let's put a map up again. Uh, maybe a slightly, we've zoomed in a little bit on, on Macedonia. Um, Paul and his companions arrive at Philippi. Um, Luke reminds us, um, as, he, as he writes the book of Acts, as we talked about last week, uh, that Philippi is a Roman colony and it's an important city in the region. Um, and they stay there for several days. And I'm, I'm immediately struck. It wasn't a very long visit, but a lot can happen in a few days. Uh, the lives of individuals get turned upside down. The lives of families get turned upside down. The, the course of a continent begins to be changed all in a few days. A lot can happen in a few days. Um, Paul's usual habit whenever he came to a new town, if you've read the book of Acts, you probably know um, Paul's usual habit when he came to a new town was first to go to the synagogue um, and share the message of Jesus with those who already knew the Old Testament um, and tell them that Jesus is the Messiah you've been waiting for, the Messiah the Old Testament prophets talked about. He has come, he has arrived, he is, uh, and, and he announced Jesus as Messiah. Um, again, if you've read the book of Acts, you'll know more often than not he didn't get a very warm welcome in the synagogue and either met with indifference or was chased out, in some cases, with rocks. And then he would go to the marketplace and share the gospel with the Gentiles. So that was kind of Paul's normal strategy, his normal pattern. But it seems that Philippi didn't have a synagogue. Um, most likely, the Jewish community in Philippi was too small to establish a synagogue. Um, you had to have a quorum of 10 men in order to establish a synagogue. Um, and, but Paul and his companions have heard that there's a place of prayer down by the river. Um, so they go down by the river. Uh, and by the river, outside the city gate, what do they find? They've heard there's a place of prayer. They go there and they find a group of women. And among them a woman called Lydia, uh, who's a dealer in purple cloth, which probably means she was relatively wealthy. Uh, purple cloth was much sought after. Purple dye was uh, hard to get hold of. Um, she came from Thyatara, which, funny enough, was back in Asia Minor, where they've just come from. But presumably she settled in the city of Philippi and lives there. Um, and it says very simply about Lydia, she is a worshipper of God. Um, and there's so much in this story that intrigues me, um, and that I'd love to know more. There's, there's a whole lot we don't know here, uh, but I find it absolutely fascinating. I love the drama of God's bringing Paul and his companions through Asia Minor, and these women are waiting by the river. This is the right place at the right time where God has brought them. This is why they were not to go to Asia at this stage or Bithynia, because Lydia and these women were waiting for Paul and his companions to arrive. Um, and I find these women intriguing. I find myself wondering, um, how did they end up there by the river praying? Uh, why did they gather there to pray? And we've got to be honest and say there's a lot that we don't know, but I'm going to speculate a tiny bit. Um, the culture in Philippi and the wider world at that time was pagan. Uh, people believed in many gods. They believed in all kinds of gods. There were um, You couldn't swing a cat without hitting a temple or a 
statue or an idol of a god. There were um, gods of weather and gods of fertility and Greek gods and Roman gods and local tribal gods and just a confusion of gods all through uh, that, that part of the world. But in the middle of all that confusion of gods, there was another story that was going around. And it was a story about the one true God who created all things. And of course, it was a story that was told by the Jewish people. But the story claimed that this God was not just the God of the Jews, but the God of all the earth, the God of all people, of all nations. And I think it's fair to say in the ancient world, there was no other story being told like that story. And of course, it was preached in the Jewish synagogues, which were scattered around the empire. But it was also carried by Jewish merchants and Jewish travelers who told the story wherever they went. And maybe, we don't know, that's how the story arrived in Philippi. Many people, you remember from our map, um, Philippi was on the, the Via Ignatia, the Ignatian Way, which is a really important trade route. And many people stopped in Philippi on the way through. And maybe it was a Jewish traveler or a merchant traveling through Philippi who brought with him this story. Maybe it was Lydia herself in her own work as a trader in purple cloth as she traveled to other parts of the empire. Uh, maybe she brought the story back. Um, but however it arrived, um, there's a group of women in Philippi who have come to some kind of awareness of the one creator God. We, we don't know if they'd become full-blown Jewish believers or they might be what, what the Bible often calls God-fearers who had come to kind of believe in the God of the Jews. But maybe, we, we don't know. We don't know what their, their status was, but they'd begun to pray and they'd begun even to worship. And I'm struck by the fact they didn't have a lot of support. There's no synagogue. They don't have a rabbi to teach them. We don't even know if they had the Old Testament scriptures uh, to read. They, they don't have a lot of knowledge about God. But it seems to me what they have is a hunger for God. They have an openness to God based on whatever they have heard. And maybe it was scraps or maybe it was more. They have started to pray. They've started to turn their hearts towards God. Um, I find myself wondering... If you lived in Philippi, how would you have viewed these women? Maybe you heard about them, you saw them. These women down by the river praying and there's no church, there's no synagogue, there's no structure, there's no priest, there's no rabbi. It's not very proper, but they, they're, they're praying. They're turning their hearts towards God. I wonder how you would have viewed them. I wonder how much sound theology and doctrine they had. I don't know. Um, but they're starting to pray. Um, how does God view those women? I think for me, this is the part of the story that I find really moving. Um, God sees their hunger and their hearts turn towards him and seeking after him. And I, if, I, if we can imagine this, I think God says, I'm going to send my best missionary team and I'm going to redivert them from where they were going in Asia Minor and say to them, no, not that way, no, not that way, this way so that they will arrive by that river where those women are praying. And so they can sit down with those women 
and meet them where they are and then tell them the rest of the story, the bit that they hadn't heard. How this God who created the heavens and the earth and revealed himself to the people of Israel has now come down and come near in the person of Jesus and walked among us and died to bear the weight of the sins of the world, the sins of all people, and risen as the beginning of a new creation. And all people of all nations are now invited to come and be part of this story and to repent and believe and receive forgiveness and have a new beginning in life. What an extraordinary moment. They had a little bit of the jigsaw, and now Paul arrives with his companions and tells them the rest of the story. And I love, I really love the the simplicity of the way the story tells us simply that the Lord opens Lydia's heart to the message. That's how the story is told. The Lord opens her heart to the message, and Lydia is baptized And along with her, her whole household, her whole family. Um, And then immediately, she invites Paul and his team into her home. And a new church is born, a house church is born in the home of Lydia. Um, One commentator uh, says very memorably, the opening of her heart is immediately followed by the opening of her home. And I love the fact that nobody needs to tell Lydia, you know, now that you're a Christian, You really need to practice hospitality. And so you need to invite people into your home. She receives the grace and kindness and generosity of God in her life. And her first impulse is to open her home and say, I I have a house. We can imagine it may have been a big house. She she had a, a little bit of wealth. And she invites them in. And it seems that the church of Philippi was then became a house church in the home of Lydia. Um. Immediately, she receives God's generosity. She uh, starts to show it to others. Um, What can we learn from this story? Um, I want to kind of try and bring it in uh, to land a little bit on maybe where we are at a very different time in history Um, and just share a little reflection. Um, I guess our culture, uh, I guess just thinking about this image of the women praying by the river, um, our culture is increasingly described by people as post-Christian. Um, and what's interesting is, certainly from where I'm standing, and I think a lot of people would agree, most people are not becoming atheists where they believe in nothing. But they're, they're turning to kind of a new kind of paganism where they believe in a little bit of everything. That's much more common in our culture. I was, and I was thinking about this during the week, and then we were watching a a TV show as a family where uh, it was uh, like a, a dog rescue place uh, where people come and are, are uh, meeting their dog for the first time. Uh, it's all very emotional. Uh, I don't know if any of you have seen it. But anyway, in the middle of this show, um, there was a, a young English vicar from the Church of England came in looking for a dog. Um, and there was this lovely scene where one of the um, young women who worked in the dog uh, place. What do you call that place? A dog. Yeah. Yeah. Dog kennels. Rescue. Rescue place. Um, she she tried to have a conversation with this young vicar, but it was very obvious she didn't really know what she didn't know what Christians believe or or what language to use. And so it was a lovely awkward conversation where she kind of said to him, "I don't really know what I am. I don't I don't think I, what what's an atheist." And he told her, and she said, "I don't think I'm that. I kind of I believe in something." Um, and then she said to him, 
do you believe in horoscopes? And he said, well, no, no, no not really. And she said, what about ghosts? Do you believe in ghosts? Um, and I thought that, that's a little snapshot of where our culture is at. There's the majority of people I think would say, I'm not an atheist, I believe in something. And then there's other stuff, there's superstitions and uh, things that they, anything supernatural people are intrigued by or a little bit open to. Um, and that's kind of where people are often at. All kinds of gods, all kinds of superstitions, all kinds of spiritualities, all kinds of vague ideas. Um, in many ways, our culture is becoming more like the pagan culture in which the early church lived and shared the gospel. And so maybe the thing I want to say, especially this morning, is um, in that kind of landscape, there are new dangers that we need to be aware of and maybe things that make us a bit queasy and a bit scared. But there are also new opportunities. Um, a generation ago in Northern Ireland, our culture was full of people who knew a lot about God through Sunday school and Bible camps and church attendance. But often their hearts were not open to God. And actually, that's not an easy environment for the church to engage in mission. It's very hard to share the gospel with people who think they already know it. It's very hard because um, often hearts can be hard. Even though heads are full of knowledge, hearts can be hard. But increasingly, we live in a culture where people have very little knowledge and will often put together their own homemade spirituality with scraps of things half remembered from church or the Bible, along with bits of New Age spirituality and magical thinking and inspirational quotes from the internet and kind of patch it all together. And it's kind of part Christian, part pagan, part Oprah Winfrey, part who knows what. Um, and all of it can be quite confusing and sometimes disturbing. Um, but the thing that has really challenged me this week is in our culture, there will also be people like these women and they've heard a little bit about God one way or another. And they've started to become aware of God. And they've come to believe in some kind of God. And maybe even started to experiment with prayer and worship and turning their hearts towards God. Based on the little, the little that they knew. But the question is, who is going to come to where they are and sit down beside them? and share the story of Jesus? That's the urgent, pressing question. I want to finish with a story. Um, we, we lived for two years in Vancouver. Um, Vancouver was often described as the most secular city in North America. Um, but again, we didn't find it to be a place where people believe nothing, uh, but rather a place where people were open to anything. And so there was pagan spirituality and Eastern spirituality and New Age spirituality and occult spirituality and this confusion of gods um, everywhere. And from time to time uh, in Vancouver, there would be spiritual fairs or mind-body-spirit fairs where people would set up tents and tables offering all kinds of spiritual goods for sale. Um, fortune tellers, tarot card readers, Reiki healers, etc., etc. Um I don't know what your instinct would be. Um, mine very often would be just to run a mile and stay in church and lock the doors and warn everybody not to go, right? That would be my, my instinct. 
And there's a lot of wisdom in that instinct, or there can be. Um, we have a friend called Mary. Um, Mary is a quiet, prayerful, wise follower of Jesus. She's given her, her name to our daughter as her middle name. Mary knew that there were people in that confusion of crowd who were hungry for God. Do you remember Jesus says he looked at the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? And I think Mary saw the crowd that way. They needed someone to come and sit with them and tell them the story of Jesus. And so Mary went and booked a table and she set up a little sign that just said spiritual readings. And people came and sat. And whenever they came and sat with Mary, she said to them, I want you to know I have no psychic powers and I can't read your mind. But I believe in a God who made the heavens and the earth and who made you and loves you and knows you. And I believe that this God has revealed himself in Jesus and in the Bible. And so all I'm going to do is just pray in the name of Jesus that that God would give me a verse from the Bible for you today. And that's all she did. And she sat quietly and she asked God, would you give me a verse for this person? And she wrote it on a little bit of card and she gave it to them and they went away. And she told us at the end of the day, when they were trying to pack up the fair, there was a queue <laughs> down the corner and round the bend at Mary's table because the rumor had started to spread through the fair that there was someone here who was the real deal, right? And of course, we need to be wise and we need to be aware of spiritual dangers on our own level of maturity. And I'm not saying everybody should go and do what Mary did. Right? That was her calling. But I feel challenged. We need to have the heart that Mary had for people to see the crowd the way Jesus did, not just to run away because we're scared, but to see them the way Jesus did. And we're called to be like Mary and being open and available and ready to go wherever the Holy Spirit leads us. Because somewhere out there, there are people sitting and they're hungry for God. And they're waiting for someone to come and sit with them. Um, the question that's been on my mind this week is, where are the people in our culture who are like these women? Where are the people in your street or in your workplace or in your friendship groups or in your sports club who are like these women? And who is going to go and sit with them? Um, as Paul says in another, another letter, how will they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how will they believe in the one they haven't heard about? And how will they hear unless someone tells them? And how will anyone tell them unless they're sent? And maybe I would add one last line if I'm allowed. How will anyone be sent unless they're first open and available? Say, I'm ready to go wherever you want to send me. Um, let's pray together um, then we're going to sing a song to finish I want to remind you um, if you'd like to pray with someone this morning um, about anything that's going on in your, your life uh, there'll be a couple of people up uh, to your right, my left um, who'd love to pray with you this morning uh, but let's pray and then we're going we're gonna to sing Lord, I want to pray this morning, would you, would you open our eyes and open our hearts? Um, help us to see the crowds 
the way you do. Even as we look at the confusion of our culture and so many vague beliefs and confusing beliefs and ideas floating around, help us to see the people in our neighborhood who are like Lydia, who are starting to pray, who are starting to come alive to God, but need someone to come and tell them the whole story. Lord, I want to pray this morning that our hearts would be open and hungry to join you in this great adventure and ready and willing to go wherever you want to send us, whether you want to send us across the ocean or whether you just want to send us across the street or across the room. Would you guide us by your spirit to the right person at the right time to meet people where they are and to sit with them and to share the hope we have in Jesus. And Father, we want to pray uh, that in our days, we would see this amazing miracle happen of hearts opening towards you and lives being changed and households being changed and maybe even continents and cultures being changed. But Father, this morning, would you start with us and give us a glad and willing spirit to say, here I am, send me. Um, Give us feet that are ready to go wherever you want to send us, carrying the gospel of peace. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.